This can be played at high volume. Live and local. This is the game. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. It's Saturday, and you know what that means. Finally time for the world-famous CD to step to the mic for two straight hours of no-holds-barred sports talk. It's better than Desperate Housewives. Are you ready? You better get ready. Yeah! Because Under the Dome with CD starts right now. Let's do it. I'm ready. Let's do it. Do it. And good morning. We are back. It's been a minute since I've been on the microphone, and I'm absolutely loving the fact that I'm here with you on a Saturday. And they always say how when you miss a week, you miss a lot. Or when you miss a day, you miss a lot. And I think you can say the same and then some for missing one Saturday show. Because not only did I miss out on talking about the World Series champion Houston Astros, baby. Not only that, I missed out on talking about those LSU fighting Tigers beating Alabama against all odds. Like, we missed out on talking about that. The first round of the playoffs. Now, this week feels a lot like a Dragon Ball Z filler arc here, but I'm all the way here for it because it's a Saturday. It's chilly as all get out, so why not sit underneath the fire of the hot takes for the next two hours right here on the game. 103.7 Lafayette and 104.1 Lake Charles. Appreciate you listening in as we're getting ready for another great Saturday. Filled with great sports, maybe not as much big, important games in the Acadian, in the amongst the teams that we cover here. The Tigers, the Cajuns, obviously, they're playing in the case of the Cajuns, they're playing a much better opponent, I think, than a lot of us expected heading into the season. LSU's playing a lesser opponent. So it's going to be interesting to see what goes down with those. And also, I missed out on talking about the big fight with Dustin Poirier last weekend. Definitely an entertaining ball game if there ever was one. And we'll talk about that and so much more over the next two hours. Hopefully, we can get to it all. Here's the thing. I've always got the time for you. If you want to call up 337-706-0111, 337-706-0111, and let's waste no further time, no more preambling. Let's get straight to the rambling right here. Let's get it going. The famous CD is on his soapbox to start your Saturday. It's time for your Saturday Sports Sermon. It feels like every single week, the New Orleans Saints make the headlines of this show. More because they are falling well below many of our expectations. Heading into the season, Adam, double-digit wins. More likely than not, this team is going to have double-digit losses for the first time in a long time. I think the last time it happened was the Katrina year based off of just pure memory. I feel like that's the way it is. Because I feel like every single year Sean Payton was around, it was 7-9, and 8-8 eight and eight when the team was down. With Dennis Allen, and there's a lot of people out there that are calling for Dennis Allen's job. And on some cases, they've been on him for weeks. I think pretty much right after week one. 
Now, mind you, those fans are absolutely insane. We try not to give them any time. And admittedly, I've already given him an extended stay of execution because of all that he's dealt with in the last year. And I think the Saints front office is going to be the same way. They're not going to treat this like a the New Orleans Pelicans head coaching job was after the pandemic year, 2019-2020, where they had a new head coach, fired him, wound up getting Willie Green, and that's been paying off quite nicely. Mind you, lost last night, but the Celtics are a doggone good team. But still, you have right here, right now, everything that's going on with the Pel- with the Saints right here, right now, it's justifiable, and I'm starting to kind of be on be more on that camp of I would not be surprised and it's because of one thing one element in particular it's the hard-headedness of Dennis Allen and it's more from what we've seen in the last few days it's practically inexcusable what he's doing he's I get it he wants to stick with Andy Dalton for a very specific reason because he feels like he gives this team the best chance to win here's the thing Andy Dalton does not give you the best chance to win based off of what we've seen the last few ball games. That team, that offense looks inept with him under center or in the shotgun position for the most part because obviously under center isn't necessarily a thing anymore in the NFL. But he decided to mull it over after discussion, after a disappointing, uninspiring ball game from the Saints. They penalties were putrid and everything else about that contest was disappointing and now we hear him say i'm gonna go ahead and think about it there probably was no thinking about it he was just putting up a front and just gonna go ahead and stick with andy dalton the old man red rifle i'm sorry this isn't the red rider bb gun this is not exactly what you want to see out on the field And I get it, trying to keep Jameis Winston as healthy as possible. But here's the thing. The conversation is he's not 100% and likely won't be for the rest of the season. But let's be honest. We are in the second half of the NFL season. I would dare you, dare you to pick one player in the entire NFL. That's I'm going to go ahead and do the math for you real quick. Just the active 53-man rosters. So let's do some quick math real quick. 53 times 32. Out of the almost 1,700 players on an active NFL roster right now, is any one of those guys 100% midway through the season? I don't think so. So that statement alone is asinine. I get it. You know, he's not 100% healthy, but nobody in the NFL is at this point in the season. He's been practicing in full, full participation, no restrictions during the run-up to a game. He's the QB2. He's able to be the QB2. Why not just elevate him and be the QB1? There's something going on there. I don't know what it is. Did Jameis Winston look off in his first three starts of the season? Of course. It's obvious when you look at the film, but it's clear that it's not all on him in a sense. And I'll go ahead and break it down for you is Jameis Winston was absolutely cooked by an offensive line that looked like he gave up for three quarters of the game. 
The Falcons' defensive line of the front seven absolutely crushed this man to the point where he had spinal injuries, a back injury, and he just wasn't the same guy. Now, mind you, Andy Dalton, not much better. 11 touchdowns and seven interceptions. And he looked, for the most part, like a complete jabroni against the Pittsburgh Steelers that are in a similar position, when you think about it, to the New Orleans Saints. Why do I say that? Well, think about this. What are the Pittsburgh Steelers doing right now? They're trying to find the next guy after Ben Roethlisberger, a guy that was admittedly a little bit of a of a bag, but also he was still a hell of a player and got that team to a Super Bowl, got that team in contention year in and year out in an AFC North where they were holding dominion over it until the tail end of his career when it was clear he did not want to hang it up. A lot like somebody else that's also wearing black and gold over here in the Crescent City in one Drew Brees. But it's plain as day to me that this Saints team is absolutely checking out of 2022. And they have every right to at this point. Because when you are having the worst record at 3-6 and six that you've had, again, since Hurricane Katrina, and where's the win going to come from that's going to get you to a certain point? Because I don't see it in a whole lot of places. Maybe the lost, the Atlanta Falcons and the Carolina Panthers, and maybe, just maybe, the Super Bowl hangover Los Angeles Rams. They're 3-6. and six. It's crazy to think about. But what's even crazier to think about right here, right now, is that the New Orleans Saints are sitting here and I think the fact that you have uninspiring football all the way around, and it feels like Dennis Allen is trying to commit career unalive. Let's go ahead and call it that way. He's trying to unalive his head coaching career and be the one head coach ever to get fired after one season by the New Orleans Saints. And that hard-headedness, to a certain extent, I think it's got to go back to the previous head coach. I think this is more after effects of Sean Payton. Sean Payton, everybody loves Sean Payton, but people just kind of forget or maybe whitewash him constantly wanting to be the smartest guy in the room. For years, he'd always try and be the guy that would do something different that never really paid off all that much. I paid off really one time. And it paid off really well because it was the ambush play. It wound up leading to the Saints' first and only Super Bowl. But if that play doesn't go the way of the black and gold, the fans would have turned on him a lot sooner, I think, in my mind. It's just facts to me. And Dennis Allen's gamble of sticking with Andy Dalton can still pay off. But I highly doubt it because of what we've seen. Andy Dalton... Under the Dennis Allen-led offense has been pretty mid, and I have the fact that thankfully he's done. Like, you can just let him go next year and not have to worry about eating any more salary cap mess, which is just an entirely different conversation about how we love the Lumisnomics, but I think we're starting to see the dark side of Lumisnomics because you have a lot of guys that are on the hook for a lot of money, namely a guy like Michael Thomas. 
there's a lot of guys that are going to wind up being free agents after the season, namely Marcus Davenport off top. And I get it. It hurts Jameis Winston's soul to not be able to play. But here's the thing. I don't think Dennis Allen's ever going to let Jameis cook. A lot like Pete Carroll at a certain point was not going to let Russ cook. And I'm not even going to go ahead and bring up what's going on with the dreaded, and I mean dreadedly mediocre Denver Broncos and letting him cook. Because I don't think they even have a stove to cook on, to be quite honest. And the real sad part of this is it's starting to feel, keywords starting to feel, a lot like the beginning of a long downturn. I've been one of those just pumping, not necessarily sunshine and rainbows, but one of those guys that's wanting to see this Saints team succeed and not necessarily have a long downturn. I don't mind a couple-year dip, but right here, right now, it's not looking good. And it's even more damning when you think about what's happened with this team over the last few months. You have a offseason where and you wind up giving away first-round draft picks to the Philadelphia Eagles. And the one year, it's ironic, the one year this team, and I don't think they're tanking deliberately, it's just they suck. But when you have a team that's in the tank the one time in the last 15, 16 years, you don't have a first-round pick to cash off of. You've got to hope and pray that somebody is decent enough to land in the second round of the NFL draft at quarterback. But trust me, those are few and far between. The history of Saints drafting quarterbacks is never a good thing. The last two alone never really saw the field. The only reason why Ian Book ever saw the field was because half the team was out with COVID. Seriously. So if y'all want to, you know, jock ride without a license, all these great players in the NFL draft, like a Hendon Hooker or a Grayson McCall, which by the way, if you're riding on Grayson McCall, I think you need to just put down the phone and put down the mock draft machines because I don't think that's going to get you to where you need to go. If you want to get there, you've got to find a good to great quarterback to work with these good to great weapons that they've got on offense because they do have them. Jarvis Landry, Michael Thomas, whenever the hell he's going to be healthy. Foot calls him plastic, man. I'm just going to call him broken glass. Dude is absolutely just a glass of body at this point in time. But if you want to go ahead and, you know, pull for the Saints, go and get a good quarterback in the 2023 NFL draft, and trust me, it's a good draft class. But I'm not necessarily sold on the Saints getting a good draft pick quarterback right out the gate in 2023 with the position they're going to be in because they don't have that first-round pick. They don't have an opportunity to get one of those top flight quarterbacks like a Bryce Young, even though I wouldn't want him if I was the Saints. You don't have an opportunity to land some of those guys. It's going to be fun to see what happens before too long. We'll go ahead and take a quick time out. When we come back, we need to get to high school football in the Acadiana area. Round two. We'll talk about that next right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. You're listening to Under the Dome with CD on Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. 
Who is the world-famous CD, really? Whatever you think, when you think sports radio, he's the exact opposite. Yes, I will do the opposite. Let's get back to Under the Dome with CD before he starts acting like Costanza. George is getting upset! On the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette at 1041 Lake Charles. We are a Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Appreciate you being with us here on a Saturday. No guests in this hour, so the phone lines are wide open. Absolutely loving the vibes right now on a on a Saturday morning. Yes, it is frigid outside, but trust me, the hot takes will definitely keep you warm on this Louisiana Saturday morning. And let's go ahead and get this conversation going about what happened last night in high school football, the playoffs, round two in the books. And I have to say, the Acadian area had a very fun night with a lot of great area teams at home handling business. I'll just say this. There's like two high schools right by my house. At a certain point, it felt like a damn war zone. I'll break it down for you in a little bit. But we'll start off with the game you heard right here on, wait for it, the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. And that is St. Thomas Moore. They absolutely steamrolled Helen Cox. No rust on this team at all. 55 nothing win over the Cougars of Helen Cox in the Division II playoffs. Now the competition gets a little tougher. It's going to be interesting to see how it goes in the Division II quarters against Madison Prep in a one versus eight contest. They didn't go over to Southside, technically not at home in the traditional sense, because they are actually over at St. Martinville because they don't have a stadium yet. But this program did something that they hadn't done before. Now, mind you, I think this is a season of firsts for a lot of different reasons, and I'm loving the fact that that's where we're at. That the Southside Sharks, for the first time, in program history, have won a playoff game. They've been in the playoffs a few times, but they this is a historic year. And again, they've only been a varsity program for four years. They won a district title with programs like Acadiana and Carragro, both in the district, and those programs have been teams that have been able to hold dominion over that district for many years. <clears throat> They do that. They beat both those programs. They beat both of them. I mean, to a certain extent, what Southside's doing is a lot like what LSU was doing, and we'll talk about them in the next segment. But I like what I'm seeing from the Sharks. And now they have another big win, beating North Shore 35-14, another first on a Friday night football. Josh Fontenot, congrats to him. And the team over at Southside advancing. But here's the thing. They aren't going up against, you know, some half-steppers. They're going up against a damn good team in Zachary. Zachary not only is a good team, they've won state very recently. But also, guess who they just beat? They beat West Monroe. And if you know anything about high school football, if you know, like, even an iota of the stuff Kevin Foote knows, West Monroe 
is a powerhouse in the Acadian area. They lost 20 to 10, not Acadian area, the state of Louisiana, excuse me. But West Monroe loses to Zachary 20 to 10. So the Sharks will host another playoff game this Friday night against Zachary. That's going to be fun. You'll hear that on Mustang 1071. Then we go to the Opelousas Tigers. They lost a heartbreaker last night. They had a first-round bye, couldn't advance to the quarterfinals for the first time since Bill Clinton was in office. They lost to Lakeshore. <clears throat> there we go. 35-34. Absolutely tough. And that was your St. Landry Parish game of the week. Next week, they'll stay in Opelousas. More importantly, Opelousas Catholic going to take on Ascension Catholic. You'll hear that on News Talk 98.5. On a Black Friday. And you know what they always say when it comes to Acadian area teams, just teams in general. If you're practicing on Black Friday or on Thanksgiving, you know you've had a damn good season. That's the understatement for a lot of these programs, namely Southside especially. Now we get to the story that I was going to get to. And that's the Character High Golden Bears. Again, if you listen to this program, and you know me, you know that I am a proud alumni of Carriker. I'm a proud Golden Bear alum. I live not far from the high school. So, when I say last night, I was doubting Carriker's chances. I thought there was a small sliver of a chance, mainly because of the fact that you have the Golden Bears played them twice. And anytime. You play a team in the playoffs, it can be wild. And this isn't an upset by any metric because, after all, it is an eight beating a nine seed. But when you play a team a second time and it was that close the first time around, I guarantee you, you've got a very distinct chance. Very distinct chance that the that the Golden Bears are going to wind up getting a win. But lo and behold, they redeemed themselves in a big way, 27-17. And I was hearing the horns from my house after the celebration started. I could hear it from outside of my home. Damn near felt like I was going to like a nuclear bomb was going to drop near the Acadian area. The way that horn was blowing. After the clock struck triple zeros. Love seeing that from Acadian area's finest in Karen Crow. And a former player, I saw this pop up on my feed, and I laughed about this, is this guy used to play for the Golden Bears back in the early 2000s. He said, you know, I couldn't help but to laugh at this, just so y'all know, we just won state. The rest of the games don't matter. I still think the games do indeed matter. But I'll tell you what. It's a fun time to be a Golden Bears fan. Next week, they'll take on all-too-familiar foe on Black Friday. Top-seeded Warren Easton. I think they've played them several times, especially on Black Friday. It just worked out that way for years since I've been here. At least since... Ben Love and Blaine Vitor have been on the call. I feel like Warren Easton and Black Friday is a tradition unlike any other. Not too dissimilar 
to back in the day when you had Black Friday, LSU, Arkansas football. Thank God they got rid of that. Mind you, 11 a.m. on a Saturday, LSU-Arkansas feels a lot like Black Friday, LSU-Arkansas. Just my personal opinion. Definitely that game belonged on Jefferson Pilot, the way that game was played. Anyways, North Vermillion, the Vermillion Parish game of the week. North Vermillion cruised to a win over Church Point. Patriots in a stacked division with some of the better programs in the area, and they've scratched and clawed their way to the quarterfinals. Love to see that from the Patriots. And now they'll go ahead and take on West Feliciana, who just mollywopped fellow Vermillion Parish team, Erath. 55-21, the Bobcats lost a tough one in the second round. Meanwhile, other area teams, Iowa sneaks past Abbeville in a 17-14 battle. Iowa will next take on the Wampus Cats of Leesville. Bro Bridge, they bust up Iota, 33-18. Next up is North DeSoto, who took down Cecilia, 33-14. St. Martinville, their season ends in a disappointing loss to Lutcher, 44-39. Lutcher will now take on Lake Shore. Then you have the Turlings Rebels crushing George Washington Carver. Cooked him up like crazy. Then you have the other side of the bracket in Division Two. They're going to have some bangers next week, and this one in particular. Rebels going to be taking on Archbishop Shaw. And speaking of Division Two, the night train keeps a rolling, rolling, rolling with a 46-8 win over McDonough 35. And this, that was the other part of it. Because where I'm at, like, it's not far away from LCA either. So I was hearing the fireworks going off. And I know it's weird to hear fireworks go off and it's not New Year's Day. But here we are. Fireworks were popping off after a 46-8 win over McDonough 35. So trust me, the Domain household felt like it was under attack. Thank goodness I don't have a dog because that dog probably would have been going crazy hearing those fireworks. Anyways. LCA has a date with De La Salatine that's been able to make the make the state championship game several times over the last five, six years. So the Knights have a tough test ahead of them. And if they win that, they got to move on and go play, I believe, Turlings in the semifinals. So it'll be interesting to see how this goes. Notre Dame of Acadia Parish beat Lake Charles College Prep in overtime, 41-40. The Pios and Louis Cook taking on Episcopal of Baton Rouge next Friday night. Welsh loses to Oak Grove 35-14. Bazile beats Oberlin. Haynesville is going to be their next opponent. VC beats Cedar Creek. And their gift, wait for it, is Southern Lab. And we brought up Opelousas Catholic. They beat Central Catholic last night. So in the quarters, they'll be taking on Ascension Catholic. We'll go ahead and take a quick timeout. When we come back, we've got to talk about LSU. Because I think right here, right now, everybody loves them some Brian Kelly, and justifiably so. So I think at this point, we got to talk about his first year. And at this point, I think he's playing with house money. We'll talk about that and more right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the World Series champion Houston Astros and the SEC West champions. Feel sweet to say that about your LSU Tigers. 
The world-famous CD may be in his 30s, but he's still a kid at heart. (laughs) Now, let's get back to a guy that has an unhealthy obsession with a number that offensive linemen wear. With Under the Dome. With the world-famous CD on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on the game. 103.7 Lafayette, 104.1 Lake Charles. We are Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. And I got to say, if you want to give us a call, 337-706-011, would it be much appreciated? And I mentioned right before we went on the air on social media when we dropped the teaser of what's going on on the show, is that today we got a big announcement about this show and it's the fact that we're on the road again back in may if you remember we were out in lake charles absolutely was one of my favorite moments of my broadcasting career being out there in the chuck in the community having a great conversation with a lot of people and just having myself a good old time this time around i don't have to drive nearly as far so if you want to come on out and have yourself a good time and Chat it up with yours truly. The next two weeks, you get to do so. Now, how do you do that? Well, it's quite simple. All you have to do is meet me at Twin Peaks on Johnson Street this Saturday and next Saturday. We're live from there from 9 to 11. The next two weeks, and I'm all the way here for it. Because, honestly, I don't get to get out of this studio all that often when it comes to these remotes because again sometimes you're the little engine that could and you're the morning show and on a week on a saturday morning it's always kind of overlooked if you will just gonna go ahead and say that much now i am loving the fact that i am here with you i'll be with you next saturday live from twin peaks on johnston where you get to have all the eats drinks and scenic views that you want And I'll definitely be consuming some of those eats. Maybe not the alcoholic drinks, but some drinks nonetheless. Getting you ready for LSU A&M next Saturday. Does Jimbo Fisher get fired? I don't think so. I don't think anybody of all teams A&M could probably eat the bill, but $85 million buyout is absolutely absurd. And then we'll be at be over there next the following Saturday for the SEC championship game. That's awesome. Like, think about that. And also think about when you talk about LSU. They're in the SEC championship game. Now, who among us, and I guarantee you not a single person in this building because it's only me and Daryl, are going to raise our hands and say that we picked LSU to win the SEC West in 2022. With all this program, like troubles that they had, after the national title game, with all the players opting out, players leaving, and Ozron just really showing us he's still the old Miss head coach that we saw back in the day. He's still that guy that didn't get the opportunity at, at, at USC. We saw that. And Ed Ozron out there enjoying his life. He, dude, Cat is living his best life after being let go as a head coach to the LSU Fighting Tigers. He's going to all these games. 
taking pictures of all the cheerleaders. He's got a good-looking woman right next to him. You got you to love how Coach O has turned a negative into a positive. And LSU has done the same. They moved on from Ed Ogeron and got themselves a splash hire. And I think it's the splashiest hire that the fighting Tigers have had. And right out of the gate, he has made the biggest splash I've ever seen from an LSU head coach. Because not only are they SEC West champions, but they did so by beating Alabama in overtime. That was the most mind-blowing thing ever. And I told you all how much I thought LSU had a puncher's chance against Alabama. I definitely had them covering. I knew that they were going to cover. That two-touchdown spread was way, way too much for an Alabama team that, based on what we've seen, they're very suspect. I understand that, you know, LSU lost their ass to Tennessee, but Tennessee beat Alabama. By law of transitive properties alone, LSU should have beaten Bama. But I don't think any of us saw it go down the way that it did. And I absolutely loved the two-point conversion call because it was the right way to go about it. You don't want to get into an overtime battle. Seriously, you don't want to get into an overtime battle against a program like Alabama. You never, ever, 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 ever want to get into that battle. I'll tell you why. Because they've got the talent and they've got the ability to kick your ass. So whenever he did that, even if they missed that two-point conversion, I think 90% of LSU fans would have loved that. Would have been like, okay, give it up. It showed us chutzpah. It showed that Brian Kelly has the biggest huevos in all of Baton Rouge. Even more than get Gordon, get it done. That man showed us he's got the brass cojones to get these things done. If he needs to, he can pull the trigger on this stuff. Now, do they even have a puncher's chance against Georgia in two weeks' time? I don't think so. But here's the thing. It don't matter. Here's the thing. Brian Kelly is a guy that is playing with house money. And not just playing with house money in general. The man is playing with house money because this fan base at this point in time in his first season has done more than I think any of us expected. Especially the way the season started. Remember, this is a team that was led by Brian Kelly that lost to Florida State after a missed extra point when time expired. You don't think that played a role in the decision-making? He's like, bleep it. We're not going for overtime. We're going for the win. We're not going for double overtime. We're going for the bleeping win. We're going for the jugular here. Because nobody else is going to do that because they run and scare. And he ran that trips 
to perfection. And it's a play that screwed over this team in the past. If you remember, and I saw this video the next day, is that that was the play back when Deshaun Watson, before all the allegations came out about him when he was over at Clemson, they had a trips play, Clemson, Alabama, that helped Clemson get a really nice win in the CFP. So that's that alone puts Brian Kelly at a very different level. He's up here now. Brian Kelly immediately put himself on blast as the guy. Now, again, it's a down year for Alabama. And I'll tell you this right now. 2023, I think, is a year, if he sticks around, where Brian Kelly, not Brian Kelly, Nick Saban is going to be on a revenge tour, and it might be the farewell revenge tour. Don't believe me? Just think about it. He's going to, after two years of not winning a natty, after losing two games, I guarantee you this guy is going to be doing his best Bill Belichick wearing a hoodie for the next few months, and he's going to go off on people in 2023. This may be the farewell tour of Nick Saban in 2023, but damn it, he is going to go out on his own terms. And I, all the way, am here for that intriguing storyline next year. But when it comes to LSU, he's playing with house money. They have a chance right now, I, I think they're projected and poised to be in a New Year's Six Bowl. Again, if you're driving, don't do this. But if you're listening on the app, getting some honeydews done, raise your hand if you thought for a single solitary second that LSU would be playing in a New Year's Six Bowl. Seriously, raise your hand. I don't think there's a single person out there in listener land that thought that. Now, mind you, I said earlier that I don't think there's a soul out there that's listening that would have put money on LSU to win the SEC West. I stand corrected because I keep forgetting that a good friend of mine and a good friend of the program, Tyler Batiste, Lafayette native, covers the NBA for the athletic and also an LSU alum. He threw down 20 big ones, 20 bucks on LSU to win the SEC West before the season started. You know what the odds were, Daryl? Plus 5,000. Seriously, plus 5,000 odds for LSU to win the SEC West. Cat put $20 down. He just got $1,000. Cat got paid. I should have been with him placing that bet. Could have made myself a cool G. I would be perfectly fine with another cool G in my pocket. In fact, I texted him after I saw it. It's like, let me let me let me hold a dollar, brother. Let me hold a dollar after winning that thousand. Gonna go ahead and take a quick timeout. We got some big news to break down involving the Louisiana Raging Cajuns before we wrap up our number one. Get ready for our number two, and we'll get to that next. You're listening to the game right here on 103.7 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion. Feels so good to say that. Houston Astros. 
Most sports talk shows turn it up to 10 on the amp, but Under the Dome is far from your ordinary sports talk show. It takes it just one step higher. These guys are laughing. Now back to the show that gets the lead out. Under the Dome with CD on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. We are Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. For wrap-up hour number one and get you ready for hour number two, we got Ross Jackson coming aboard at 10.30 as per the use. It was kind of tough getting a guest this week because obviously LSU, excuse me, the Cajuns playing at 11 a.m. and you got LSU playing UAB, kind of a of a eh game. But I think next week we're going to be fully loaded with some great stuff. Not quite Herbie fully loaded, but pretty doggone close. But I wanted to say we had some breaking news, relatively speaking, because we were hearing some stuff within our camp about Ben Woolrich, the starting quarterback for the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. And the news is this, and it's really quite simple. He is out for today's game against Florida State. Chandler Fields will get the start for the contest. Now, to kind of continue the conversation on this, we also have to say there's a very significant chance, just based off of the reports, it's not official, but it feels like everything is set up for this to be, it's an ACL injury based off everything I've heard, and he's done for the year. And odds are we'll still see Chandler Fields get the start in the final two games of the regular season. Possibly. Keyword possibly. It's not out the realm of possibility that this could be the final game of the Cajuns 2022 season. It's not the realm of possibility. That said, I think there's a very distinct chance that they could slide into one with the win against Texas State in the finale. Which Texas State, they're, they're better than they were in the past few years. But they're still not good. They're three and seven. So there's a distinct chance you can get a win there and get to a bowl game, which would be great. Not necessarily as good as it could have been because, you know, everybody's expectations were to continue your dominion over the Sun Belt West. That said, I think you'd take a trip to a bowl game no matter what, right? You would always take that. And I like the fact that I, I this is purely based off of hearsay and conversation that the Cajuns, more likely than not, if they win that game next Saturday against Texas State in San Marcos, they have a chance to go to the Independence Bowl. It's not the NOLA Bowl, but bright side is, day after Christmas, you can make a trip up to the city of Shreveport and go see the Cajuns play. Now, who do they play? So that's a different conversation that I don't have any privy information about, but that feels like that's the direction that the crew wants to go with. And when it comes to the Cajuns, again, they are playing a very good team in Florida state. And this is not a Florida state team. I don't think anybody expected to be where they are. In fact, the, the spread has moved up. I know in the two-minute drill at the top of the hour we mentioned, 
It's something 24 and a half. It's moved to 25 now. And I would not be surprised if the money line is taken off the books altogether in the next like half hour. Just because I don't think it's once you get to a certain point in the money line, you got to pull it. And this is the exact statement of like, hey, we got to kind of pull it. But minus 25, 25 point favorites are the Seminoles right here, right now. So that's that said, it's going to be interesting to see how that goes. Over in Tallahassee, where our guy Footsie's at, I know, like, I'll say this, we got boots on the ground damn near everywhere amongst like the people that we have here on the game. Kevin Foot, boots on the ground in Tallahassee. I know Hannah Five Names, she's out, going to be in Baton Rouge for the big ball game senior night against UAB. I believe RP3 is going to be out there, boots on the ground at the McNeese home game. And next Saturday, he was telling me he was going to be at College Station against for that A&M ball game. I'm sure he's going to love that long weekend with high school football Friday night, the OC game, and then the next morning making the trip up to College Station to go to see the home of the 12th man and the cult that is Texas A&M. Can't wait to see A&M lose their ass in that contest. Hour number one is in the books. We got hour number two coming your way in just a little bit. Got a lot to get to. Namely, the fave five picks to click make their return because we've been gone a week. Mind you, a lot of those parlays I threw down didn't pay off. I did get a big payoff in Justin Verlander winning a Cy Young. We'll talk about that as well. In our number two, we'll also get to our conversation with Ross Jackson because the Saints are absolutely at the front of the line of conversation for everybody. Heading into a game against the Los Angeles Rams, and it's weird to see how far those two teams have indeed fallen. But we'll talk about that and more in our number two. We'll be back after this right here on the game. 103.7 Lafayette, 104.1 Lake Charles, and we're your home for the World Series champion. And you can't take this away from us. Houston Astros fans loving it. Then you have the SEC West champion. Feels so good to say that too. LSU Tigers. And it's all right here on Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. This can be played at high volume. Live and local. This is the game. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. It's Saturday, and you know what that means. Finally time for the world-famous CD to step to the mic for two straight hours of no-holds-barred sports talk. It's better than Desperate Housewives. Are you ready? You better get ready. Yeah! Under the Dome with CD starts right now. Let's do it. I'm ready. Let's do it. Do it. And welcome back. Hour number two of two of Under the Dome with CD right here on the game. 103.7 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Hopefully you're enjoying yourself on the Saturday. 
Appreciate you listening in, however you're doing so, be it through the free mobile app, 1037thegame.com, 1041thegame.com. Your favorite smart speakers, just tell your Alexa to play the game Southwest Louisiana. Just that simple. Tell your smart speaker, just go ahead and do that if you will. And also, on the Towers of Power that are 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Absolutely love the fact that we have those signals absolutely booming right now. Let's go ahead and waste very little time because I want to get to my picks to click for this weekend. So let's go ahead and waste that. Let's hit that button right now, Daryl. The world-famous CD always has his eyes on the lines out in Las Vegas. Hit me 20. Hit me 21. Hit me 22. Here's his five favorite bets for the weekend. Will he make you rich beyond your wildest dreams? Or will you be cursing him out after he goes 0 for 5? Let's find out on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. And I think this week, in honor of the Astros winning the World Series, I'm feeling that Mattress Mac vibe. And you know what they say, Daryl, out there in Texas? They say the stars at night are big and bright deep in the heart of Texas. And we're going to go ahead and make this Fade 5 parlay a Texas-sized one. All teams deep in the heart of Texas. We're going to go ahead and pick some of those ball games. We'll start off with the Texas Longhorns. Last week lost a tough, heartbreaking game to the TCU Horn Frogs. This week, go ahead and pick them over the Kansas Rock Chalk Jayhawk at minus 305. Go with the money line straight up there. Then we go with those Horn Frogs of TCU at minus 130 in a big ball game against the Baylor Bears that if TCU wins, they'll go to the Big 12 championship game, which is weird to think about. They have a championship game again. Still feels a little strange compared to what we have seen in the past. Then we go to the Red Raiders, the Gauchos, bang, bang, Texas Tech against Iowa State. Texas Tech is a clear underdog in this ballgame at plus 140, but I definitely feel like the spread is a little bit lower than I than I personally would throw down on. So I'm going to go with the money line of Texas Tech at plus 140 to win outright. Then we go with the Texans at plus 140 against the Washington Commanders. This is a definition of a toss-up game if there ever was one. I think that's a game that the Texans can win. Because, yes, the Commanders were the Giant Slayers, but to a certain extent, that was their Super Bowl. Beating the Eagles 32-21, I guarantee you that win and the fact that it was a short week, it's got to think that the Texans have a chance to get the dub there. Then we go in a different direction with this final pick of the parlay. It's not all Texas teams winning in my book. Because in my book, I think we got to throw down on the Minnesota Vikings, a team that is incredibly underrated at 7-1. and one. They are a damn good team, and they are slept on, too. Like, you think about it. 
What what teams have been the biggest conversation points in the NFL this year? You got the Philadelphia Eagles, and justifiably so. They've been damn good this year. You've obviously got New York football giants. They've been good. The Buffalo Bills, everybody's just losing their mind over the fact that the Bills have lost a couple games and they're no longer in control of the AFC East. The Dolphins are looking damn good, which again, I said, Dolphins Dolphins have been looking good, but this year they're finally kind of getting it all together. And that East is a lot more muddled than it has been in the past. So with that said, you got to think that the Vikings are the team that nobody's talking about because everybody's just talking about the Green Bay Packers and the way they're plummeting down with Aaron Rodgers after the ayahuasca trip. That team has been falling apart. I mean, you saw it Thursday night on Amazon Prime. That team is awful. Then you got the great the Detroit Lions. They're not bad, but they're not great. They're three and six, yes, but at the same time, I think the expectations were pretty low. The Bears are the Bears are the Bears, and it's disappointing because Justin Fields is a damn good player, and he's just they're not getting anything out of him. So that's kind of where we're at right now in the NFL, and it feels like to a certain extent the Vikings, who beat the Buffalo Bills in one of the best games you will see all year long. Like, honestly, as a Saints fan, I would have much rather have seen that game live than see the putrid game we saw last Sunday against the Pittsburgh Steelers. But the Minnesota Vikings, one of the best games you'll see all year long. One of the best catches you will ever see. All due disrespect to OBJ's touchdown catch from many moons ago. I think this one was more impressive because he was in coverage. Absolutely banger of a ball game. So I got to go with the Minnesota Vikings getting it done in the Big D, or no, at Minnesota in their home stadium against the Big D, that is the Dallas Cowboys at 325. So that's kind of where where my picks are. Last week, or two weeks ago actually, those picks did not pan out all that well. Mind you, my picks for the UFC last weekend didn't pan out all that well either. I've been on a little bit of a of a spin down. Let's go ahead and put it that way. A downward spiral. I've got Georgia right now to win the national title. And I feel like that's definitely secured. The back secured there. Win 17.95. I also have a little bit of a bet going on the World Cup. And I'll go ahead and throw this out there. Again, based off what I've heard, some of the validity has been questioned. But still, if it happens... Your boy can win $80. Now, the World Cup is starting tomorrow, and the first game that everybody's talking about is obviously the host team, Qatar, taking on Ecuador. And this is a game that I think everybody's kind of keeping an eye on because of rumors of match fixing. We haven't even started the damn World Cup. We already have rumors and innuendo about Qatar and Ecuador 
and there being a potential match fixing in place. Feels very much Dark Side of the Ring-esque. And that eight players were bribed to lose the game. Again, purely reports. Nothing probably official. But, I mean, nobody's said anything about it. But still, yeah, I think the fact that there was a mention of an outright one nothing win for Qatar made your boy throw down 10 bucks on the exact score. That happens, $80. Let's freaking ride. And DraftKings, don't take this away from me. Because your boy needs a win in a bad way. Especially after last weekend with the UFC. Like, here's the thing. I had like written down a three-leg parlay for our guy Dustin Poirier. Congrats to him, by the way, for getting a win over Michael Chandler. And the way that he did it was impressive because he was clearly losing that fight based off the cards. Lo and behold, the Diamond gets it done with a submission victory early on in the third round. And he's a guy that's not necessarily known for his ground fighting. Lo and behold, he managed to find some ground game and get it done and get himself back into contention for the UFC lightweight title. Now, whether or not he has a chance, that's a different conversation because I feel like we could see Chandler Portier 2 and then maybe, not not Chandler 2, but maybe Oliveira 2, excuse me. And then maybe he faces the seemingly unstoppable Islam Makachev, which should never be a statement at all in the UFC anymore because anybody can be stopped. It feels like anything can happen in the UFC nowadays because Israel Adesanya lost that fight last Saturday, and I was in conversations with one of my friends via text, and we both said, holy bleep, what just happened? This guy, Israel Adesanya, was an absolute beast and damn near felt untouchable. The only guy that could beat him was the guy he was against. That's Alex Pereira. Pereira. The dude has had his number for years, and it was amazing to watch that fight because he was going to lose that fight. Again, we talked about it a while back with the other guy. The name has escaped me right now. Kamaru Usman. He felt like he was never going to lose that title. He was just going to be unbleeping touchable. But here we are. He's no longer the champion. 2022 has been the year of upsets in the UFC. And trust me, as somebody who loves the fight game, I am all the way here for it. It looks like now it's official, based on what I was mentioning earlier, about Ben Woolridge, according to The Advocate, Kevin Foote's putting this out here, is that he won't be available for the rest of the season with what is being coined as a lower body injury. So he is done for the year. Not a great look for the Louisiana Raging Cages. Before we take a quick time out, let me break down some of the other kind of spreads right now. Again, Florida State... The Cajuns at minus 25 right now. I'd recommend throwing down. I, I, you know, If you listen to the show enough, you know I never say take the points on a, <clears throat> a big favorite at minus 25. But I think this would be a game you take minus 25 on because 
of the fact the Cajuns have a quarterback that's not necessarily seen the field all that much the last couple months. But yeah. Then you got UAB LSU. It's minus 15 and a half for the Tigers. I'd honestly take that 15 and a half. I feel like it's a solid bet. Safe. You have LSU. I mean, they are pretty good against the spread. They failed to cover in their last six games against teams from Alabama as a favorite, but I still think 15 and a half feels fair. Now, when do they call the dogs off? That's the real question. But I'll go with LSU beating UAB, and I'll take the points on that as well. I'll wrap up looking at the New Orleans Saints and the way their line kind of lands. And somehow, like despite the complete mess that is the New Orleans Saints like season, I don't know how they do it, Daryl. How the guys in Vegas even think this is a possibility of the Saints being two and a half. Two and a half point favorites. Mind-boggling. And they don't have Cam Jordan on the field. I think Cam, losing Cam Jordan is a definite, like, I'm not just running, I'm sprinting to a Rams money line there at plus 130. I'd say if you want to, throw that down because I feel like that defense is going to get cooked by Cooper Cup and crew. I could be wrong, but that's where I'm kind of landing. We'll go ahead and take a quick timeout. When we come back, we'll talk about the Houston Astros for a little bit because I've got some thoughts on what's going on with JV Justin Verlander, the man that just won the Cy Young. And if he returns to H-Town, we'll be back after this on the game. 1037 Lafayette at 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette at 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the Houston Astros. Speaking of those Astros, that's where I want to get to right now. And that is basically the the Justin Verlander situation. And yes, Justin Verlander, he may be $25 richer because I threw down on him back in June, him winning the AL Cy Young. He did so unanimously. Congrats to him, by the way. You think about it. He's been one of the best pitchers over the last, let's say, 15 years. Three Cy Youngs in three different decades. Impressive as all get out. Now, where does where do things go from here for him? He's obviously he is going to be he's a free agent now, heading into the winter meetings, which is always where kind of the conversation starts to shift towards. And I'm interested to see how where he goes. Because there's a lot of teams that could undoubtedly would love to have him. Obviously, the Yankees could throw down gobs of money at him. The New York Mets absolutely would love to have somebody like that. Hell, even the Texas Rangers, if they would want to snag a guy from the dreaded enemy, which would be 
a big heel move, and I think people would hate that. Or even the absolute scourge of the Astros' existence in the Los Angeles Dodgers. I guarantee you we would hate to see the Dodgers get JV. But do the Astros have a chance of getting JV back? I absolutely think so. I hope so, in fact. Because I like what I've seen from him since his return. And here's the thing. He, Justin Verlander, improved his stock 10x this year. Because not only, like, the guy two years ago was done. He had Tommy John surgery. And Tommy John is not a good thing to have as a pitcher, especially at the age he was. He missed 2020, 2021. Wasn't ready until 2022. The guy returned and looked better than he ever has. Think about that. Think about that real quick. He was out of the game for about two years. Two years. And the guy looks better than probably he ever has. And we always talk about it a lot, especially in the NFL, how important that contract year is. Because if you do well, I guarantee you, you have a whole hell of a lot more opportunities to make money. Seriously, you have a great opportunity to make a crap ton of money. Now look at him. He is absolutely going to be eating because everybody's going to be paying him gobs of money to stay either with the Astros or go to one of those big market teams. This is not a Carlos Correa type situation. I feel like this could hurt the dynasty. This could be one of those first cracks in that dynasty and I'm hoping it's not like what we've seen with the Miami Marlins both times they won the championship where they where they fell off very quickly. If you remember how that story went for the Miami Marlins, especially after the 3 one when they beat the Yankees, which was absolutely one of my favorite sports moments from high school. Because I did, I've never been a fan of of the Yankees. Never will be. Now, when it comes to the teams that could get them, I think the Yankees are out of the conversation because they're going to have to fork over a good bit of money to get their guy, Aaron Judge, to stick around. Again, purely how I feel. I could be completely wrong. So, in my mind, they're out of the contention. Where does everybody else kind of land? For me, I got to go with New York Mets are a team that's on top of my mind. Because the Mets, I feel like they've got a few pieces away from being a legitimate contender. Legitimate. Then you got the Texas Rangers feel like it's a tough one because I don't think the that Verlander wants to go from Houston to Arlington because he knows the implications there. The Dodgers, they would throw the 
Brinks truck at him, and it probably wound up working out pretty well for them. So if I were ranking it, it'd probably be Dodgers, Astros, Rangers. No, 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 excuse me. Let me start over. Mets, Astros, Dodgers, Rangers, and Yankees. Add like a top five, just off the top of my head, of teams that would want him and teams that could throw money at him and get him. I think Yankees are least likely some because you're having to deal with the Aaron Judge situation. And I'm wondering how that goes with uh, your boy Stein Brenner. It's definitely going to be something to keep an eye on. But when it comes to the Astros, if in the hypothetical that they do not get Verlander back, you've still got some great talent. You got Christian Javier, do got that dog in him. You got Framber Valdez, who literally was him in that World Series. Do is a beast. You've still got Lance McCullers, who did come off Tommy John and has looked good. Not quite Cy Young good, but good nonetheless. And sometimes it's all you need. Yet Framber Valdez out there having like a record amount of quality starts. I don't hate it, but again, I want to see who else is in that group that you can put. Because again, that's a three-man rotation. This isn't college baseball, Jack. This is MLB baseball, 162 games. I would much rather have a four- or five-man rotation I can rely on consistently. Jose Urquidy did well, but largely was on a milk carton during the regular season, during the postseason, excuse me. He was good, but I want to see if there's one more guy that we could possibly get out of the minors and into the show. A lot like what we saw with one Jeremy Pena. Because, again, Jeremy Pena proved how expendable, to a certain extent, Carlos Correa was. And nobody expected it at all. So mad props to to the Astros for, one, getting it done and proving, hey, they can rebuild and reload. It's still, I feel like this offense is missing something without George Springer still, but I can live without that because you're still able to get some things done offensively and defensively especially. Now, when it comes to the future for the Astros without Verlander, I think it's a little bit better than maybe it would have been a couple years ago because, again, you've got Valdez and crew, and the bullpen is better. Like, think about that statement. The bullpen is a hundred times better than ever than it had been like during those really good years in like the late 2010s because that was the biggest thing that kept them away from being a great dynasty is their bullpen this past season their bullpen was damn near lights out damn near lights out and that makes me wonder how much better this team is going to be Starting lineup looks better. Jeremy Pena in year two is going to get so much better. And by the way, I still don't understand why J-Rod won the AL Rookie of the Year. Julio Rodriguez, good player. But I think Jeremy Pena, I think the only thing that kept him back was the stint in the IL. That was the only thing that really kept them from being in that spot, at least in my mind. My hard hearts, that's where he kind of lands. 
from my point of view. We'll go ahead and take a quick timeout. When we come back, we'll get Ross Jackson aboard the program. Back after this on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Louisiana's Sports Station. That was not the right rejoin to play there. My bad, my bad, my bad. That's on me. Turnover on me. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on the game. 1037 Live. You had a 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros in Southwest Louisiana. Let me give you a quick reminder. Mention it in the first hour. We'll be live from Twin Peaks next Saturday. Getting you ready for the LSU AM regular season finale. And they'll also be there for the SEC Championship game. Twin Peaks on Johnston Street. Come on out from 9 to 11. The next two Saturdays we'll be out there enjoying ourselves and enjoying, more importantly, the eats, the drinks, and the scenic views. But enough about next week. Let's get to this week because we need to get our conversation going with Ross Jackson, host of the Locked on Saints podcast and contributor for Saints Wire, part of the USA Today Network. Ross, how you doing, brother? Hey, brother, doing great, man. Doing great. Glad to be here with you. Hope you're doing all right today. I'm doing good, man. Doing good. And first things first, let's go ahead and just get it out there. What was going on with Dennis Allen's decision to stick with Andy Dalton instead of going with Jameis Winston? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you know, just a few weeks ago before the Las Vegas Raiders game, the decision was made based on, quote, an offensive decision like the way that the offense was moving the ball with Andy Dalton. They had a nice game against the Raiders, but then the offense has been flat over the course of the past two weeks against some pretty good defenses, the Ravens and the Steelers, but we're used to the Saints offense, even in the worst of times, being one that can challenge even the best defenses. So we've seen, um, you know, not necessarily the output that was promised when the idea to, to go with Andy Dalton was uh, was made. Now the decision is apparently around health, uh, that Jameis Winston isn't 100% yet, and that you know, they're going to be going forward with Andy Dalton um, for for the foreseeable future uh, at this point. And so, with that being the case, you know, it, it sparked some questions about you know, was it actually about health the first time too, as opposed to the offensive production, or is it was it just about the offensive production then because you were coming out of you know a couple of pretty good games where you know Taysom Hill scored you know had a superhuman effort for you and scored four touchdowns and kind of led the way in terms of what we've seen from the Saints' offense is most successful. Uh, uh, play so far this season. So, you know, there's a little bit of kind of uncertainty around it, but the understanding at this point is that Jameis Winston is healthy enough to be the backup and not healthy enough to be the starter. Uh, and with that being the case, that the Saints are moving forward with uh, Andy Dalton. And just to be clear, my opinion, my opinion only, if Jameis Winston is healthy enough to be the backup, then he should be out there because it was his job. And there's, you know, the policy around not losing your job due to injury so if he's healthy enough to be the backup to me he should be healthy enough to be your starter that's what i'm thinking too it's like you think about it ross what are we this is week 11 right mm-hmm. how many nfl players are out there of the 1700 on an active roster are 100 percent? i guarantee you it's not many if anybody yeah yeah absolutely i think the only person that might be 100 percent going into this game this weekend is David Johnson because he haven't, hasn't played yet, and he uh, was just signed by the team this week. Uh, outside of him, there's nobody that's going to be taking the field uh, this, this, uh, tomorrow that, that's going to be 100%. So it, it is interesting, you know, and 
And some of it does require some reading between the lines and things like that, which means that some things are kind of left up for interpretation, which means maybe we're interpreting, maybe, you know, some people are interpreting things differently and, and, and things like that. But, you know, all in all, if, if we're told that the decision is because he's not 100 percent, then it's surprising to even see him, A, not on the injury report, but also be not uh, playing the, maybe still still playing the backup role. Yeah. And again, I understand the back injury and all that stuff, but it's like if he's good enough to be the backup, 100%. he should be able to play on Sunday against the Los Angeles Rams, which, mind you, the Los Angeles Rams are like the definition of a Super Bowl hangover. We'll talk about that more later, but let's go back to the game against the Pittsburgh Steelers and kind of break that down a little bit. Obviously, the Saints offense just could not get it going, but I think the bigger story was how how many times this team was penalized and it wound up being a lot of costly stuff because they had, they had this ball game in their in their grasp, but the penalties kept building up on them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, you're talking about a tie game going into halftime, but then you know you end up having as many penalties as you had points in this game. Ten penalties, ten points, and that's usually not a good formula for success. Um, and so you know you think about the fact that. Pittsburgh was able to stay on the field so much. They ran a total of 84 plays, five of which being non-plays effectively due to penalty. Saints giving up six first downs due to penalty. The Saints also letting up, um, you know, nine of 17, I believe it was, in terms of, of third downs over on the defensive side. But then on your offensive side, not being able to stay on the field, the exact opposite, only converting three of 12 first downs in this game. And so, you know, that along with, time, you know, that leads to one-sided time of possession, leads to one-sided number of plays run, that leads to, you know, being able to get your offense going. And the, the one and only drive that we saw, which is actually the only drive of the game in which the Saints exceeded 50 yards on a drive, was that two-minute drill at the end of the first half, which, you know, you had hoped would maybe spark a little bit of confidence, a little bit of a rhythm, especially with them getting the ball back in the second half. But right away, they ended up putting themselves behind the sticks with penalties and things like that. So, it continues to be, you know, an undisciplined level of play right now on the field for the Saints that ends up causing them so much trouble. And it continues to be them beating themselves. And that is, uh, that's a tough thing to, to get out of that rut for sure. Um, tough to do it at home. I mean, tough to do it on the road. We'll see if the Saints are able to do it with the help of the home crowd this weekend. I would definitely hope that's the case, especially against a Rams team that I think the Saints fans will absolutely be trying to eat alive, if you will. And when you look at that, this Rams team that they're going to be up against, this is not the same Rams team that we saw over the last two or three years. They feel like they are a step right. well below their, the, what we expected from them. No, 100%. You mentioned them being the definition of a Super Bowl hangover. This team is a Super Bowl blackout. I mean, it is not going well for them so far this season. They're about ready to march out their 10th different combination uh, on the offensive line in this game. Um, you have... Uh, you know, a quarterback that's coming off of the concussion protocol. You have a team whose best player, Cooper Cup, who was responsible for 40% of their offensive production, won't play in this game. And you have, you know, another wide receiver over on the outside, Allen Robinson, who just hasn't really been able to get it going. A lot of us had really high hopes for Allen Robinson in that offense because he wasn't playing with Blake Bortles and Mitch Trubisky and all these kind of mid-level quarterbacks anymore. He had Matt Stafford, who was just – you know, a Super Bowl champion in his first year with Los Angeles Rams, but it hasn't come together. And they're one of the league's worst when it comes to the run game. So, I mean, if you're looking for a get-right team, this is probably the get-right team. And, and, and to be clear, when I mention a get-right team, I simply mean to win a game. I don't mean to start a run or anything like that, right? That, that can't be the focus of this New Orleans Saints team. Their focus needs to be Sunday, 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 and that's it. And so, you know, this is a uh, – it, it should be 
a positive matchup. You certainly wish that Cam Jordan was going to be out there, especially with him so close to so many sack records for the franchise, going up against what would be you know positions that are four deep at players on the offensive line. So stinks that he's going to miss his first career, second career game, first with injury. The last one was the COVID absence. Um, thinks that he's going to miss this game because you know the, the Saints' pass rush is really what you're looking for to set the tone in this one. Talking right now, Ross Jackson, host of the Locked On Saints podcast and contributor for Saints Wire, part of the USA Today network. And the Saints, obviously, they've been dealing with injuries left, right, and sideways on the offensive side of the ball. One injury in particular they're going to have to deal with on the defensive side has to hurt a lot. The fact that you have Cam Jordan, the Cal Ripken of the Saints, hasn't missed a game in the 12 years he's been with the franchise. Now he's out with an eye injury. How much is that going to affect the front seven? Yeah, I mean, it's a massive impact. It's a massive impact. I mean, that's one of your emotional leaders out on the field as well. He's one of the guys that gets the energy going. He's one of those guys that fights and fights and fights all the way into, you know, four or five seconds into the snap clock to get after quarterbacks. That type of fight is something that charges uh, a defense. And, you know, we've, we've watched him, you know, pile on over a handful of sacks so far this season. He's continuing to play up to the level that, that you expect from him. And, um, you know, like I mentioned, he's just a couple sacks away from the home sack record, a few sacks away after that from the franchise sack record. So uh, this is, would be the perfect opportunity for him uh, to get ahead in that count. But, you know, I, what it ends up changing is that you, you don't have Marcus Davenport either. So both of your kind of speed to power or power rushers are, you know, not going to be playing in this game. You're proven power rushers. So instead you're looking at guys like, uh, Tono Passanio, who, who's who's a bit more proven, he he's shown real consistency for the Saints actually. But then you look at Peyton Turner, uh, the the first round draft pick from uh, last year's draft, and then you look at Carl Granderson. Both of those guys are athletic edge rushers, and so it's going to be interesting to see. You know, Ryan Nielsen, when we spoke with him this week, mentioned they're not making you know wide swathing changes over on the defensive line due to personnel, but they are making little tweaks, and it's going to be interesting to see if you know they can if they can limit that run game and force Matt Stafford to drop back if they start utilizing the sort of athletic speed edge rusher approach against Matt Stafford when he has to take those five, seven-step dropbacks on third and longs and those late, late and long downs. And it would be interesting to see how that works because that's not usually the mold for the New Orleans Saints and their pass rush. Their, their pass rush is very much about push the offensive lineman into the lap of the quarterback if you can. It's all about power, power, power. But you've got some really athletic guys that are going to be on the edge during this game tomorrow. It would be interesting to see how the Saints deploy that. Hey, you brought up Marcus Davenport. I think he's definitely somebody mm-hmm. that we're going to be talking about as we get into the month of January and we start to focus towards free agency. Because mm-hmm. I think, obviously, we, we continue to talk about how he's been a guy that's performed well when he's on the field, but he's having a hard time staying on the field with injuries. Do you think he winds up being a guy that the Saints inevitably have to let go? Um, it, it's certainly possible. I mean, he's about ready to, to work off of his uh, fifth-year option here. They, they did restructure that fifth-year option, so some of his money is already into future years. So that could lead to them keeping him around. But, look, the Saints are going to have to take some cost-saving measures this offseason. Not a ton, right? Like, they'll be able to get under the $55 million cap overage going into 2023 without touching, you know, some of the kind of bigger guys. Nick Underhill did a great uh, breakdown on that not too long ago. But if you want to make additional moves, and there are certain things you're going to have to do there, Marcus Emport would be no longer a cost-saving measure to keep him around like some of the other guys will be. So, um, and, and he's an edge rusher at a premier position, and it's likely that his team is going to want to, you know, test his uh, value out on the market. 
and everything that could be of detriment if he has to end up coming back to New Orleans. And for New Orleans, right, you've got Peyton Turner, you've got Carl Granderson. You can expect Cam Jordan to be around for at least a few more years, I think. Uh, you've got Tono Passigno who could stick around. And then, you know, there's other players out there like Baylor has a six foot seven edge rusher named Garmin Randolph who, you know, isn't a first round edge rusher type that could be had later on in the draft that could come in and, and you know, be a developmental piece, but without, you know, spending a first round pick at the position, which you won't have anyway, unless you trade Sean Payton this offseason. So it's going to be interesting. I, I think the conversation around Marcus Davenport this offseason may be more about how the Saints replace him than it will be about him sticking around. Talking right now, Ross Jackson, uh, host of the Locked On Saints podcast and a contributor for the Saints Wire, part of the USA Today Network. And, you know, like, one of the big things everybody's been talking about over the last couple weeks, because obviously we haven't talked since November 5th, is mm-hmm. the conversation surrounding Dennis Allen's future. Do you think he winds up being the one head coach in Saints history to get fired after one year? Yeah, I, I would be surprised if that was the case. Uh, you know, barring something unforeseen, like, I mean, maybe, you know, if you lose out the rest of the season or, you know, it would take something kind of drastic for you, for that to happen. I, I would be surprised if he wasn't the guy in 2023. And instead, I, I think it would be more likely that the Saints would stick with him as head coach, give him another run in 2023 and try to make changes elsewhere. You know, I think you're going to probably see some, some fluctuation at coordinator positions, you know, especially if, if if Sean Payton comes back to coaching somewhere, it feels likely that he'll, you know, poach some of that staff and some of that staff will go with him. And so I think there's going to be some fluctuation on the coaching staff one way or another, but I don't know that it's necessarily at head coach. The only exception would be if the Saints decided that they just philosophically wanted to go into a different direction. They wanted to go back to an offensive head coach or they wanted to, you know, kind of scrap the idea of continuity and move into, you know, an idea of ingenuity and innovation and trying something new. That could be the the thing, but it seems more likely that that might happen in 2024 when you have a little bit more control over team building and roster and salary cap space and all these other things. So I I wouldn't be surprised if Dennis Allen, I, I would be more surprised if Dennis Allen wasn't the head coach in 2023, barring you know, uh, something kind of unforeseen uh, being a part of that equation, then I would be surprised if he was the coach in 2023. So that's kind of the way that I look at it. I don't think that it's impossible, but at as of the way that things are right now, while he still has the support of the roster, the support of the team, all of that, then I think he probably very likely gets another chance to build something uh, in 2023 as opposed to, you know, carry something over like he did in 2022. What do you think happens first? The Saints win two straight games or it gets warm in Louisiana? Uh, I probably gets warm in Louisiana because you know how it goes, <laughs> man. We only get like two weeks of this, and then eventually we're out there in the sweltering heat again. So we don't get it for very long. So I'll say that the Saints uh, do not win two games in a row before it is warm again in Louisiana. And can we agree that warm is like 75? Is yes. That, is that an okay I, I honestly, right now, I'd be more than okay with like a sixty-five degree type warm, like like the oh, sun. Okay. The sun's out and there's not like a wind chill. That kind of warm, right? <laughs> like right now, I, like honestly, dude, I'd much rather that because like yesterday, I'm in my office, I'm working on stuff, and my hands are literally feeling like ice. I was like, bro, yeah, this, that was us this in, is for the birds. That was us in Pittsburgh uh, during the game because, you know, we're sitting behind these glass-slatted windows watching the game from the press box. And so, you know, there's cracks in that so that the cold air kind of yeah. gets through. And we're all trying to type on our computers, and our hands are just getting colder and colder and colder and, uh, and everything. Yeah, no, I know exactly what you're talking about. Was it colder in the press box at Pittsburgh or colder in the press box in the, in the Superdome? I, I would put them both on the same level. <laughs> <laughs> 
Ross, thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you next week and enjoy the rest of your weekend, brother. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate you. Take care. Stay safe. Talk to you soon. All right, that was Ross Jackson. And, yes, the the press box in the Superdome is, like, frigid. It, uh, well, I say press box. It's not really a box, but it's at the very top of the Superdome. That thing, any time of year, it's freezing. We'll take a quick timeout, come back, wrap up the show. One final take before we head into the weekend. Back after this on the game, 103.7 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Before we close up shop here on Under the Dome, CD has just one more take to fire off before he drops the mic. Is it going to be a take that lands on the Scoville scale? Or is it going to be as cold as the pizza in your fridge? Let's listen in and find out. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Going to wrap this up. One final take before we get on out of here and enjoy the rest of your weekend. I know I'm definitely going to enjoy mine tons to do this weekend. Mind you, it's definitely cold outside, so definitely going to try and stay inside as much as I can. But I'm definitely going to still enjoy it plenty. But before we get out of here, I want to go ahead and just end the show with this and say, my God, I'm convinced now more than ever, there will never be an undefeated team in the NFL again. The Miami Dolphins, however long some of those guys still live on, they can pop that champagne every year. I am convinced that there will never be another team like that. And it's not just because of the amount of games increasing to 18, 17, excuse me over the course of a regular season. It's not just because of that. It's simply because the parity of the league is incredible. And the fact that you have have not had since the Patriots in the early 2000s a team go back-to-back, that alone is, is something I, I think could happen. But seeing a team run the table, win 17 games in the regular season, and then win three more to win a championship, that feels very, very difficult. Just my humble opinion there. And you look at it. The Philadelphia Eagles were a team that hadn't looked suspect against many teams this year. They were handling business. And then way through the season, they'd take an L to the Washington Commanders, who are in the middle of trying to expunge or exercise their demon of Dan Snyder, which I can't wait for that. Get rid of him. And that's kind of where we're at right now. Is the NFL's never going to have an undefeated team again. And I think in some cases it's just because the NFL's very different than what it was back then. I guarantee you, there's no way you can see a team pull a like New York Yankees and buy a team that can get you a championship. You can't buy a championship in the way the NFL is structured. Could you in the not-too-distant future? Possibly. But I think the NFL is smart enough to not allow that to be a thing that happens. But that's all I got for this week's program. Appreciate you listening in, as always. We'll be back with you next week, and we'll be live from Twin Peaks. Got some great stuff coming up for that program. 
But until next time, for our guy, the board up, DeWitt on the ones and twos, threes, and fours, I'm Clint Doming. This has been Under the Dome with CD. LSU football coming up 8 o'clock kick, 6 o'clock pregame show. You'll hear all the action right here on the game. Then a triple header on Sunday of the NFL. Thursday, we got a triple header of football for your turkey day. And all the great stuff we got all going on during the week as well. So I'll see you next week live from Twin Peaks. Enjoy the rest of your weekend.